so here's another interview. We have one more after this, and then I will upload an episode with Miranda because we are no longer stressed with our midterms now. So please enjoy this interview, and thank you for listening to I'm Woke and Tired. Please subscribe, like on the platform that you're listening to. Bye-bye. It's recording. Okay. Yeah. No, I just don't like I'm not doing that without asking people. But okay, that's actually super interesting. So, with your organization, I can't see this um, on the Facebook page, but where does your organization get funding? Like, do you get any funding from the city of Knoxville? How do you fund yourself? Um. So that is that we are just now, we've been here for four years and we're just now starting to get funding. We have been approached um, by the city, um, you know, not saying, you know, saying all money isn't good money. Mm-hmm. So we have to make sure that we can we can be authentically who we are and not have to not, you know, pursue something because of where money has come from. So um, we we have a fiscal sponsor now, so we are able to accept funds. Um, we are nonprofit now, but before it was just really all volunteer. Um, I'm actually um, an employee of Debug and that does not include the work in Knoxville. All my Knoxville work um, is a volunteer, but that job does allow me to do this volunteer work. Um, the debug position is more of you know the national network and training and building up the national network. Okay. Um, so going off of that, so do you think, I wanna talk more about colorblind racism, at least with the Democratic Party in Knoxville, so although, Sure, Republicans, but my research is more on Democrats. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that colorblind racism is a problem within the Democratic Party? And if so, like, how is it uh, manifested in your experiences? Um, just, are you speaking just specifically Knoxville? Um, first, Knoxville, but I do have questions about, like, Democratic Party at large, nationally. Okay. Um, Democratic Party in Knoxville. Colorblindness. Um, I'm going to say yes, <laughs> um, and I'm going to speak from a criminal justice standpoint. Um, there have been things that have been backed by Democratic representatives that have been detrimental to our community. Mm-hmm. Um, that continue to incarcerate our community and not give them opportunities. I don't know, if, and it has to be colorblindness because for you to actually vote for some of these things, you're not looking at the effect of people of color. It, you're just not, you're not looking at that. Um, nationally, definitely. <laughs> yes, I'm going back many generations in the Democratic Party from the policies that have been put forward. Um, even our current president-elect and vice president-elect, you know, 
the policies that they put forward um, were democratic policies that tore our families apart. Um, I think they have a lot of repairing to do. Um, this choice that we had this election uh, season, I, from the standpoint I was coming from, I wasn't too happy um, at all. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great that history is being made, but I feel like there there needs to be reparations made. Not there's so many ways that can be done. Um, but they need to repair the harm that they have. They themselves were involved in. They know the policies they put through. They know what they voted for. They know what they prosecuted. They need to repair that harm, period. Whatever that re reparation, that repair looks like for those families and those, mm -hmm. that collateral damage. Because when you do that to one person, you're affecting their children, their mother, their father. You're affecting that whole family unit. So that needs to be repaired. Mm -hmm. So do you think, I actually talked about this with someone this morning about hope for the Democratic Party, especially addressing their colorblind racism. Because um, I actually talked in my class about, you had a question about whether it's decreasing the Democratic Party. And everyone said it did, which like surprised me, which led to this project. Um, so They said that what? I'm sorry. They said that they saw that colorblind racism had decreased they thought it had. Um, and so what do you think about that? Do you think colorblind racism is getting better? Like, do you think the summer has changed anything um, along that? Um, I'm, I'm a believer in action. Mm -hmm. So until I see it, I, it, it, it sounds good. They're talking good, but until I actually see it put forth, I'm, I, don't, I don't believe it. You can say you're going to do this. You can say you're going to do that. You can say that you're concerned about, you know, how COVID is disproportionately affecting um, people of color. And you can say how you're concerned about, you know, how all the disparities. You can say that, but I need to see it. Um, <laughs> I, need, I need to see action in all aspects, you know, education, health, criminal justice, like everywhere, housing loans on poverty i need i need to see it yeah <laughs> so i mean i don't i don't believe it <laughs> no i agree i agree um that's why i was really shocked by what everyone was saying um so i simply wanted to talk about your encounters with it i mean you're a black woman in america i mean i you clearly confronted some form of it, but when you've been advocating for your organization, your organization has to do with criminal justice. Like you're going, which is so fraught with racial inequality, right? And dealt with well, people saying, oh, they deserved it for whatever reason, right? So mm -hmm. how have you encountered colorblind racism and how do you try to navigate through that to help, you know, the community member that you're trying to help in that moment? One specific instance, um, not going to say names, was talking to a representative um, about what we considered, or I'm not going to say the, um, the law, because uh, we considered it a racist law. And I was specifically told 
not to talk about black people, not to talk about women, not to talk about poor people because they don't care. I was specifically told to talk in terms of money, how changing this would save them money or make them money. Um, I was I was really upset, <laughs> you know. I mean, like it was just like, don't say that, you know. And to know that I can't say to someone who's in a position of so-called power in this country that you know you should care about this because of this, this, and this, and it and it will not affect them. That I have to talk in only terms that they care about. It was it was degrading it was um i don't even know how to explain it so um but in order to get something done you know i had to talk that language um so i have to kind of alter how i give my message depending on who that audience is um unfortunately so if I, if I want to change something that's affecting Black women, I can't necessarily say that to everyone mm-hmm. um, because they're not, not going to hear me. Yeah. But um, if I can say, you know, this is going to save you to... Hello? Oh, Uh-oh. sorry. Oh, my house. internet has decided this afternoon to be unstable, but, oh. <laughs> but, um, no, yeah, I just came, you were talking about, um, changing your message. I actually did have a question about that, but, you know, um, so mm-hmm. when you're working with, um, mm-hmm. either nationally or locally, and you're trying to get things done and you are trying to advocate maybe particularly to, the Democratic Party, do you ever feel like you have to, since you didn't tell me what party like that story was with, do you ever feel like you have to change your message even when you're interacting with the Democratic Party and you still have to change, like, you still have to be like, okay, well, you'll save this with that party? Um, Democratic Party, yes. And not necessarily change it. It's just really how you deliver it. Like I can say this affects black people or people of color, but I can't only say that, you know what I mean? It has to have some kind of tie in with their pockets. When I do, when it, when I really is just like this affects these, this group of people but for them to hear me, you have to have it relate in, an, in a way that relates to them and the colorblind people who don't see color don't care about that stuff. They just really don't care. And, you know, people are actually proud to say that. I don't see color. You should not be proud to say that. You, that, that is, that's, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. That's horrible. That's like you, that's like you saying that, you know what, Imani, I don't see that you're Muslim. Oh, okay. So that means that you could possibly do something that I might have to check you hard about because I am Muslim, you know. So it's like you need to you need to care about these things because they, they matter. Yeah. 
So going off on that a little bit. So yeah, it's kind of fading away, but you do still find people who are like, I'm colorblind, which is interesting that they still think that's a good idea. But I feel like it's starting from like mm, 2000s or so where that became really common for people to say like, oh, I'm colorblind. And that to be a good thing and we should all be like, yeah, it's great. So why do you think people fall back to that? Like, why do you think like people are like, you say, say I'm colorblind as like a defense? I don't know, but I do know I was having a conversation with a uh, white man and he felt he was doing everything he could do to, you know, push forward, you know, our issues. And um, he said that once he went through segregation, he said once segregation happened, he thought it was okay. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, we didn't know that this racism still existed. And I was like, what? You know, I was just like, oh, he was like, and he was like, but when George Floyd happened, I, we were like, wow. And I'm just like, we are not living in the same world. But what he said, he said, there are white people who genuinely, genuinely just do not know. And I was like, how can you not know? How can you live every day? And he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, because the police don't bother me. He said, because I don't have to worry about filling out an application in my name, not getting me a job. He said, he does not have to deal with it. So it's not like he's actively taking it out of his mind. It's just not a part of his daily life. Unlike us, even when we're pulling into the gas station just to go get some gas and a police pulls up, we have to wonder like, are we gonna have a bad day today? Um, so for them to say they don't see color, um, I, I don't get it. I, I can't get it. But I, what I will say is you need to. Um, they're, they're, we're in 2020, you have to see color. Like you have to see color, that's the only way <laughs> that you will be able to fight the injustices that are happening to people of color. Because if you live in your own bubble, in your own world, you're not going to see it. You're going to think it doesn't exist. And we had a conversation about the whole ideal of racism. And a lot, he said that a lot of people are uncomfortable because they feel like the word racist comes from a word position of hate. And I was like, no, we understand that you can be racist and not hate things but you can be have implicit racism and your actions can be racist and you can be a part benefiting from a racist system and that's all feeding into you know to being racist so yeah I also think it's interesting because whenever people are called racist or I was talking to a friend about how like people see that as such a permanent thing like you can mm -hmm. only ever be racist right that that's not changeable and so it's almost like well, no, you can also work to work on your racism. You can try to address it. So I also think that is something <laughs> why people don't want to be attached to that is because they're like, okay, mm -hmm. then I'll always be seen as racist. And I'm like, no, if you actually <laughs> address it and don't call people the N-word, I think people will stop thinking you're racist. Um, but I think also it's not just the N-word because I think yeah. people who think they don't just use that, that they're okay. 
No. You can have never said that word in your entire life and be a racist. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, especially because I'm looking at polling right now about, you know, what, especially white Democrats think about race and each poll has them doing like, oh, they believe, you know, police are a part of the problem or they also believe like systemic racism is like a reason why black people have not done as well as they should have. Um, But people are now questioning those polls because now people know what the right answer is, right? So they're not necessarily really testing like, okay, how do they really feel about black people? It's like, Mm. oh yeah, I know I should say that I'm for Black Lives Matter at this point. So now it's becoming a problem. Yeah, isn't that crazy how that's okay to say now? Hmm? Isn't that crazy how that's okay to say now? Yeah. Before it was like, ooh, you can't say that. <laughs> yeah, now I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay. So one of the polling that I was looking at actually did say like overwhelming majority of white Democrats are, you know, against racial discrimination and they want to fix um the criminal justice system so that they can, because um, they realize black people are being treated unfairly within that system. Um, but they're still against reparations and they're still against looking at race while hiring or during um, school applications. And they're still against like large amount of wealth distribution across the population. So how do you um, explain that with this group that's supposed to be so liberal, so progressive, but yeah. They're not. Yeah, they're not. Uh, when you're in a position of power, it's easy to have that savior mentality and say, oh, this is wrong. We need to change this. But they don't want the type of change to where you, they're going to be on equal footing. You know, reparations means somebody's going to get something that I'm not going to get. Or, you know, um, any any type of repairing, you know, economically or whatever it it lessens that power and as long as they're in that savior position it's okay to say black lives matter you know it's it's okay to say that but to actually do something to really show that they're not okay they're not there yet so right now it's just like i said i need to see action mm-hmm. so you wouldn't be comfortable saying colorblind racism has decreased until you see a Democratic president or any president, but will probably be a Democratic president if ever happens, does something that really transforms. Like Until I see it in action with my people and not just, so working in the uh, criminal justice, you know, you see how things work for some people and not for all, or like some people are given chances, until I see uh, it work for all of my people, no, <laughs> no, and not just the ones to make you feel good, because I believe in redemption, right? And a lot of so-called, you know, this is a majority Christian nation, and everybody talks about, you know, their Christianity, but they have that lack of redemption, like that real redemption, like let someone have a chance to redeem themselves, like really have a chance, and not the chance you want them to have but a chance they can create for themselves. Yeah. Um, 
I'm actually reading a book for one of my classes about uh, criminal justice system and what should be done, what's the next step to try to end mass incarceration within the US. Um, and yeah, the author was talking about how most people think like once they've let someone out, right? That like, oh, it's good, they're fine, they've paid the debt to society. But the problem is, right, that the returning where they just left, which probably wasn't the best to begin with, right? And so now they're just like caught again um, in this cycle. So especially with your organization, I think really interesting what your organization is doing, but is there anything else that you think people should be moving towards to try to create like, I don't know, a society where like, if you are let out, well, what's next? You know, like where, what should we be going towards? First, we have to get rid of that stigma of criminal. We don't even use the word criminal. If you're in our, <laughs> in our circle, we don't, we don't use the word criminal. We don't use the word inmate. We don't use any of those dehumanizing words because that's exactly what it does. It takes away your humanity. So we have to get rid of that stigma. And we have to, you know, once someone comes home, they're home. You can't keep punishing someone or asking what their background um, is so that you cannot hire them or that you cannot give them housing or that you cannot give them student loans or whatever it is that they are seeking, food, whatever. Um, you cannot continue to keep punishing someone once they're home because that's exactly what's happening. If someone comes home on probation, they could be fully functioning, have a job, don't have their rights to vote. So you're, you're a productive member of this society, but you don't have any say. <laughs> so um, you can't get a loan, which then, you know, affects the funding that goes to your neighborhood for schools. Like there's society, it's set, the system is set up, it's working exactly how it's meant to work. It's meant to be a system that continues to funnel through. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't believe in the system because it, it's set up exactly to do what it's doing and it's doing it well. And you have 70% of people going back. 70%, that's a failure. Yeah. That, that's an absolute failure. So why are we continuing to use this system that is continuing to create victim after victim after victim after victim? And people in society has been fooled into thinking that this justice system keeps them safe. But in reality, it makes us like less safe because like you said, they're going back to a that same situation. Now they're going back with a label. <laughs> so they're really going back worse than when they left. Yeah. And so whatever happened to cause them to leave the first time, it's probably going to happen again. And it's probably going to be more, you know, damage done to a community. Um. So when you encounter, I mean, clearly with the criminal justice system, um, of course, um, really impacting African-Americans, but also other groups, um, when you encounter the storyline of, you know, well, why are Blacks still behind, right? When other minorities are not in that situation, right? Like creating the you know model minority myth. Um, 
how do you break through that when someone's still not, you know, recognizing or not wanting to even like recognize like all the things that have gone in? I mean, you just have to take them back to the beginning. Like our people were brought here. Um, other, I'm not going to say other minorities because every majority of the people came here on their own, except for our people. Let me just put it that way. Um, and we were just brought here for a labor force. And that's all we were ever meant to be to the point that you have the electoral college because there were so many slaves. You have the 13th amendment in the constitution. Like there's our actual constitution was set up based off of our people being here and trying to keep the the ideal of slavery, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a whole institution based off of enslaving our people. Like it wasn't created off of another minority. It was off of our people, our work, our family. They needed that labor system. And so slavery was abolished, but then it was like, except for if you're a felon. So <laughs> what do we do? We create that system to continue to lock up that labor force so we can have that free labor. I mean, that was based off of our people. Now, other people have gotten caught up in it, but originally that was for our people. And that is why, you know, redlining exists and so many, Jim Crow, <laughs> you know, so many things. There's like a whole era based off of just us. So, I mean, you just have to go into that history. But honestly, at this point, I kind of don't even have the time. Um, if, if that's their mind frame, I'm going to let you have that mind frame. If I care about you, I'll, I'll spend that time. But I'm just going to move on because it's 2020. You have access to so much information. So for you to be in that mindset is because you want to be. Yeah. Same thing for, you know, colorblind. If you don't know racism exists, it's because you don't want to know. It makes you uncomfortable. And you're, you're okay. You're comfortable, so you don't care. Yeah. So is there anything else that you would like to touch on colorblind racism, you know, Denver Party in Knoxville, nation, nation at large, um, that you didn't get to say before? Um, I think the Democratic Party in Knoxville is divided. Um, I think that's why you don't see the progress that you could see. You have different ideolo ideologies, but you know, you don't have some things that they're saying they're gonna stand firm on. Um, I think it needs to be more community specific and not just certain communities, but everyone. Um, I would definitely like to see more diversity um, in the Democratic Party in Knoxville in all aspects, uh, not just color. Um, and yeah, color blindness is just 
ignorance and in 2020 your is willingness to be ignorant um and i i do have like i said i don't have time for young people i i'll talk to the young people all day <laughs> i don't have a problem with that um, but at a certain point when you're a certain age, I, I specifically just me, I'm like, yeah, you're just there because you want to be. Um, and so the reason I like talking to young people, because I feel like you can change young people and young people are our future. Like, um, so what you're doing and what other young people are doing, you are changing our society. And um, it was young people who set it off. With George, it was the it was the youth um, that opened you know the conversation up, mm-hmm. and they did not let people look away. So they were comfortable looking away before and saying it didn't exist. But it was the young, it was the youth who said, "No, you're not going to look away from this." And so, anything I can do to empower the youth and help the youth, help the youth, I'm willing to do, and I'm. I'm glad this is happening in our generation. Well, thank you for taking the time. Um, I'm glad I found your organization. I feel like with this project, I didn't know a lot of these organizations existed. Um, uh-huh. Cause I was been gone. <laughs> so okay. Williams college in Western mass for like four years. So I haven't really been um, clued into Knoxville politics in a while, but thank you for, taking the time um i also wanted to ask is there anyone else who you think would be willing to talk to me that you know have you talked to someone from ccm no i have not definitely um it's called the city council movement of knoxville Uh, definitely talk to them they are um a movement group who focused specifically on politics in Knoxville. So you'll definitely, um, let's see here. Um, give me, give me some time. I might send you some more, but I definitely think you should talk to them. Um, there's a gentleman who started it, Emoja. Um, he's an, another Muslim brother. He's the one who, him and Nkeshi, um, Nkeshi will be, she's a, professor too at UT. She's a good person to talk to. She uh, does the podcast Black in Appalachia. Hmm. Okay, I think one of my friends listens to that. Yeah, yeah. She's a good person to talk to. Um, and if you can't get their information, I can, um, I know I have Brother Emoji's um, phone number. I can get their um, email and stuff too, so you can reach out. Um, who else? I would definitely, there's a, um, the brother who ran for mayor this time. His name is Calvin uh, Skinner. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be an interesting, interesting perspective since he did, he was a black man that ran for mayor of Knoxville. Oh, did he um, run as a Democrat? Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he did. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure he did. <laughs> Um, have you talked to LaKenya Middlebrook? I have not. She was the Democratic chair, I think. I think she is uh, now over at Park, which is a city position, but um, that would be a different perspective. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I'm sorry, what was her position again? Or former? I think she was over the Democratic uh, Party mm. in Knoxville. Okay, no, these are good names. I did not have any of these names before. Like I'm talking to you. Uh, who did I talk to today? Um, um, but he works at the Phyllis, oh, Reggie Jenkins at the, he works at the Phyllis Wheatley Center. And then mm -hmm. I'm talking to someone connects to Black Coffee Justice on Friday. So I think her name's Constance. So and you definitely gave me some good names that I didn't know. Yeah, that was, um, those people definitely have a lot. And um, Renee Kessler, she's over the bag. Now she will definitely be able to give you a lot of history about the Democratic Party and uh, racism and colorblindness. Just say you mind referred me. <laughs> oh no, I definitely was. <laughs> Why? Um, no, because I know I had to like cold like email people, and I was like, hopefully they don't think it's spam. But even more, right. I was like, is this spam? Like, I was like, right. oh, this is a real person, I promise. Um, but so I definitely will probably use your name, so people don't think like, who is this? <laughs> okay. Well, it was great talking to you, and I hope your uh, project turns out well. Are you going to put it together, just a report or anything? or? Um, it's actually going to be in a format of a podcast. That's why I kind of okay. record this so I can oh, okay. cut some audio. Oh, if that's okay to you, like I'm going to be using the audio specifically um, in the podcast to put that all together and kind of play with people, different people's perspective on it. Right. Okay, cool. So, yeah. just, just put me in a good light. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Well, thank you for taking your time. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye.